think they need to understand the possibilities that are out there. They need mm -hmm. to recognize that, yes, experience and transformations are distinct economic offerings. There are opportunities there. And the question I think that they should ask as a board is what business are we really in, right? Mm -hmm. What business are we in as a company? This is Exploring Leaders, episode 23, with thought leader, author and advisor Joe Pine. Joe will share his story on how leaders can better serve customers in the experience economy, inspiring you to take responsible leadership in the digital age. Do you wonder how trailblazing leaders sense at scale, involve to innovate and align the actions in this increasingly digital world? Welcome to the Exploring Leaders Podcast. The experienced team at Degosian interviews leaders from around the world for insights and inspiration on how to lead in the digital age. In this episode, Degosian founder Lizalette Engstam, who is also an independent board chair and director, researcher, author, and advisor, asks the questions. Our guest today is Joe Pine. Joe is an experienced executive and internationally acclaimed thought leader, author and advisor. He's co-founder of the research advisory and teaching firm Strategic Horizons. He's a visiting scholar at universities like MIT, University of Amsterdam, Penn State and Columbia University. He's the co-inventor of concepts like mass customization and the experience economy and the co-author of books with those same titles and titles like Authenticity and Infinite Possibilities. This episode focuses on his journey and approaches he finds effective for top companies and top leaders. Warm welcome. I'm delighted that we can actually do this podcast episode now. And it's fantastic to be reconnected again. And so today we have Joe Pine the second, and we actually used to work together many years ago. You were already then, and you are now an internationally acclaimed author, thought leader, speaker, and management advisor and you also written many books articles etc we'll come back to that so people know how to find you warm welcome joe thank you lisa lot i really appreciate it and to see you again after after so many years when we worked together my first question is what has taken you to where you are today and what is the lessons you've learned over that time? That's an interesting question. I started out when I worked at IBM before, I was very much of a nerd. And it's amazing. I know that some people who knew me back then would be amazed at where I am today. But when I, I always had this thirst for knowledge. And the sort of inciting incident of the drama of the rest of my life was when IBM, as more or less as a reward for work I did in the AS400 mini computer back in the 1980s, sent me to MIT for a year to get my master's degree. And I found out when I got accepted that I had to write a thesis. And I immediately in my mind, I said, oh, I'm going to write a thesis I could turn into a book. And that was it. I always loved books, as you can see from back here. And I got another wall over here. And then I got more bookstores, books downstairs. Always loved books. Always thought it'd be wonderful to be an author or a professor type. And so that's what I did when I was at MIT. I studied the topic of mass customization, which I discovered when I was a strategic planner at IBM on the AS400 from a book by Stan Davis called Future Perfect. 
just a wonderful book that when I read it, it was like the heavens opened up and the angels sang because it explained everything that I was seeing and I actually worked to get mass customization, efficiently serving customers uniquely, getting that into IBM's plans and strategies, and then spent my whole time at M MIT basically writing that book. When it came time to do the thesis, I outlined a whole book. I said, well, I can get the first four chapters done in the next three months. And then, and I did that, and then I went and found, thanks to a professor at MIT, introduced me to a editor at the Harvard Business School Press, as it was called at the time, and so got an assignment to write the book, and then, and then found a place in IBM, in the IBM consulting group called Management Research, that gave me time to actually work on the book. And came out with that in late 1992. And the rest, as they say, is history. And at that time, we worked very hard to even get customers to actually have a focus on customers. That was the time of processes and everybody was starting to look very much internal. So tell us, what are some of the engagements that you are focusing on now? I'm working with a learning experience platform. And I did research actually with MIT, the Platform Strategy Institute, and the folks who wrote the Platform Revolution, and basically said, well, you combine the Platform Revolution with the experience economy, what do you get? And it's experience platforms. And now you see them all over. And so this one is a learning experience platform that, that schools, high schools, and universities, as well as government and businesses could mm -hmm. use to be able to teach. And they're all about creating inspired learning. So I'm helping them think through that. I did a workshop for the top management of the company that really merged with another company. And so they brought them together, mm -hmm. did a speech for all their users a week ago, and then, and then going to do some further work with them and thinking through this, including providing an, a certified experience county expert course that, uh, that we're going to do for them as well. So that's exciting. I'm in Europe for two and a half, three weeks and they'll be working with a number of different companies. Interestingly, one in Sweden yes. is an industrial manufacturer and it's purely mass customization. I wrote the experience economy for the first time in 1999. We've come out with two editions since then. I don't think I'm going to mention the experience economy. And that's what I'm most famous for. It's just purely mass customization, which is going to be wonderful to do. And then I'm working with the tourism district in France. I've been working with them for probably eight, 10 years. And one of the things I'm really trying to do there is to push them towards connecting their tourism destinations together, yeah. their attractions, their hotels, their restaurants, so they can have one view of who the tourist, who the guest, the customer is that they can share with each other. And that's another way of thinking about an experience platform mm -hmm. that enables them to share these experiences and learnings across them. And another one is a, and then I'll be doing a talk with a consulting company. The part I work with is in, in the Netherlands, but they work all over and this will be in Dublin. And it's on ideas directly out of the Harvard Business Review article that my colleagues and I had in January, February on that we call the new you business. And, and then the theme of the conference is actually metamorphosis. So it's change. And that's what the new you business is about change is that people desire change in their lives and increasingly companies, they'll pay companies to help them achieve their aspirations. And that's what we call a transformation. And a transformation is where you're changed by the experiences you have. You have life transforming experiences. Hmm. And while the article focuses on personal transformations, it applies to employee transformations, it applies to B2B as well. That business to business is increasingly about make me a better business, help improve what I'm doing. Give me that customer focus, for example, that you're talking about. 
and so there's just huge opportunities to think of your business as one of being in the transformation business. What is most exciting with your job? I've always said, one, I get to travel the world. Like last couple of years, not so much. Although I did have my first international travel last October, which I thought was wonderful to the country of Jordan. And then again, this fall. So I love traveling. I love meeting new people. I love being able to experience new things. I always try and spend extra days wherever I am, take in some of the biggest experiences. That's research for me. That's how I, I learn things. But the real, the real passion is seeing those light bulbs go on and seeing what a difference it makes. My wife was telling somebody the other day, as my wingman, she was saying that Joe just got a couple of people that told him that his book alone changed their lives, right? Yeah. And changed their businesses. And I like, I get that sort of as a regular comment, which is incredibly gratifying to know that people take our ideas and frameworks and then really make a difference right. for their company. And then, of course, for their clients, their mm. customers. And I know that there's a lot of companies that you have worked with that has taken on board many of your frameworks and concepts to actually create more value in the end. So I want you to ask you first, before we go into a bit more about your topic, how do you see that companies customer focus has changed and business development has changed over the years there has been this sea change that has happened in fits and starts probably for the last 50 years and you can put it down to the beginnings with total quality management the toyota production system and all those sorts of things that that at least began to push you towards understanding what the market wanted if not individual customers yeah. I remember at IBM, before I read Stan Davis's book, Future Perfect, I read this book on market-driven management. Mm. I just thought it was so wonderful. And it, said, and it really does take your focus off the product as, and where you need to use the product and your capabilities to serve the needs of the customers. And I remember when I'd done, I was talking to a fellow strategic planner. I said, if we could just implement everything in this book, that'd be it. We'd be done forever. We would just, that would be it. And as soon as I said that, I knew that was wrong because competition never sits still. There's always more to do. Yeah. And that's what set me off on that, that quest for, uh, for mass customization and seeing what else could be done. And that really does get the focus, not just on markets or segments or niches, but on the individual living, breathing customer. And right. that's what we need to do. And many companies have done that. Many more are on the way to do that. Many more need to be able to do that. But I think, and there's actually one more step beyond that I'll talk about, which is because you think about, it used to be mass markets where we didn't have to care about who the customers were. We just sold yeah. the lowest possible price to the mass market. Then it got segments, then it got niches, and then you get to those markets of one or mass customized markets, as Stan Davis called it. And you think that's it. But in fact, there's a one more level, which is to get at the multiple markets within each. So that's where we need to bring back the original conception of a market, which is that place in the center of town where buyers and sellers came together to exchange wares for money yeah. and or barter in, in original times. And so we need to recognize that markets exist inside of customers, that we want different things at different times, that we're not the same, we're not one monolithic thing. We've got to take that into account. And even when you sell to businesses, you often have multiple constituencies that you have to mm -hmm. sell to. You need to satisfy these multiple markets within each customer as well as those, they're, I, what they need is going to change over time as well. So right. that's the progression of customer centricity that we really need to get into is creating individual value for each individual living, breathing customer 
at this moment in time. <laughs> you can check out more hints and tips in the blog post covering this podcast episode of Exploring Leaders at the Degotion blog, which you can find at degotion.com. One of the things I wanted you to help explain, because when I hear people try to get their arms around something close to customers, they think of the product and then they think of services, maybe more than experiences. And I know you have in your book that I really like, The Experience Economy, you have explained how that works so that people get a bit better understanding on. And I also know that most of our accounting, most of our business development is way behind actually understanding these concepts to actually create new value. So maybe you can explain a bit more around this experience economy. Yeah, the basic notion is that economies change over time because business competition is always a search for differentiation. How do you differentiate yourself? And in the beginning was the agrarian economy based off commodities, where you did have those local markets where the farmers would bring in their crops and people would buy them. Then we shifted into an industrial economy where physical goods, tangible things became the predominant economic offering. Then in the latter half of the 20th century, we shifted into a service economy where services became what people desired. And that's where you see where many manufacturers actually got into the service business because they started to become commoditized. And so they said, well, let's go beyond what we're doing. We still have those goods. We still need to innovate in those goods, but let's provide services for our customers as well. IBM way back when had IBM means service. That was our, our a tagline that we used for uh, over a decade. But services become commoditized as well, where people increasingly just care about price and convenience. And so what in the and now today, what we're in is an experience economy, an economy based off experiences where experiences are the predominant economic offering. And the most important thing to understand that is fact, experience are a distinct economic offering mm-hmm. as distinct from services as services are from goods. So it's basically when you use goods as props and services as a stage to engage each and every individual in an inherently personal way and thereby create that memory, which is the hallmark of the experience. So we've shifted into this experience economy. And so to create differentiation, companies have to stage, right? Very intentionally a theatrical word, have to stage experiences where their work is theater in order to create that differentiation. And then as we alluded to earlier, fifth and final economic offering this progression of economic value is transformations. Mm. We're using experiences now as the raw material to guide people. And so all of these are built on top of each other in technology terms. It's a stack, right? You have, they're all built on top. They'll never go away. But the thing is, it takes fewer and fewer people to produce more and more output in every one of these industries. And that's why companies need to shift up. And that's why countries as a whole as well need to recognize because they need to provide jobs for the people in there that as goods and services commoditize, that means they more and more automate. That means they don't have as many jobs as they used to and need to provide a place for those jobs to come from. That's in the higher order offerings of experiences and transformations. And if I now take it to the leadership teams and the boards, which I work most with, how do you think they can better understand the experience economy to actually develop their company? I think they, they need to understand the possibilities that are out there. They need mm-hmm. to recognize that experience and transformations are distinct economic offerings. There are opportunities there. And the question I think that they should ask basically is what business are we in as a company? Because there's many businesses that are 
actually naturally in experiences and transformations. Think about management consultants are really in the transformation business, healthcare, financial services, universities are really all about transformation, but you don't recognize it. And if you recognize that you were really in the business of transformation, or if we are a, in tourism at all, or in the entertainment industry, if we're museums, whatever, so many other industries, to recognize that they're really in the experience business. Mm. Because once you recognize that, then you start to think differently. You'll, and that thinking differently will start to exhibit new behaviors, and that new mm. behaviors will start to create more value. I'm interested in trying to help both my own companies and other companies to be much more sustainable. So both sustainable in actually what they are providing and what they're using, but also sustainable as a company. So how do you think that boards and leadership teams can balance this thing between the customer and experience and sustainability? And using the multiple reasons for sustainability, one of the things to recognize is that mass customization is a much more sustainable model than mass production is. Hmm. Mass production will all, where you're dependent on forecast, where you're pushing rather than pulling, will always get into situations where you have to put things on fire cell and lose money and so forth. There's been studies in the apparel industry, for example, that over 30% of the apparel items, the clothing that is produced every year, are never bought and sold. They're actually often destroyed. Just Think of the economic waste that is going on there, the use of the earth's resources that yields negative value because you actually spend more resources getting rid of it. And you have that case in many other industries. And so if you mass customization means you're only producing on demand to individual customer needs so that you are much more sustainable in that regard. Also, some studies have shown that you that people where the product is more customized to you, you tend to use it more often, don't get rid of it as quickly and so forth, and it's more sustainable in that. And then, of course, at the other level of the sustainability of the company, the more value you create for individual living, breathing customers, right, then the more you're going to be able to grow and sustain the business. There still will come a time when you need to innovate a new architecture of customization but you can, but until that time, you need to innovate individual modules and you continue to grow what you have and capabilities to serve right. more and more customers more of the time. And now I'm thinking about the kind of complexity that we sit in. And here we're sitting in as a leadership team or primarily as a board. And here we're sitting and we're, we're taking decisions and then we're trying to reframe our strategy and how do you think leaders and boards should best prioritize what to act on in terms of kind of strategic things and in terms of tactical things based now of the understand better understanding on the experience economy it's you have always been more of a strategic guy than a tactical guy in terms of what's going on and i think that companies still today don't spend enough time thinking about the future Mm. thinking about and to recognize that innovation is the lifeblood of any enterprise. If you do not innovate, you will eventually become commoditized. Mm. You can innovate in whatever it is that you provide today. If you're a Mm. goods manufacturer, you continue innovating goods. If you're a service provider, you continue innovating the service. You could also innovate in customizing those. And that's how I discovered this progression of economic value, that customizing goods automatically turn into services, customized services turn into experiences and experiences into transformation. So you can use that as a route up this progression of economic value. Or of course, you can innovate in the next level up or the one or two above that as well. 
and think about creating whole new businesses. But you have to keep the current business going, of course, while you are doing that. And so that you can't let the eye off the ball, but particularly at the board at the higher levels, let the COO focus on the current business. Like be mm. thinking about what that future business possibility are and moving in that direction. I think it's a good advice. I think it's super easy that we all are drawn into very tactical decisions. Whoops, things happen in the market and we all flee to the same area whilst we actually need more structure. But it helps to have some joint thinking frameworks and to actually develop around because it's a very complex world. To get even more value out of the podcast series, Exploring Leaders, you can find everything from research reports to advice and courses at the Degotian website, which you can find at Degotian.com. If you now look at industries and companies and they, some of them, maybe not that many have yet managed really to drive themselves into this experience economy, how do you see the future? How do you see the take up and the different industries? Will they change or what do you see happening? Yeah, there's always this concerted push. It never happens as quickly as you think it does. When you write the book, you identify it and you say, okay, this is going on. But there is a tremendous push in this direction. It is the, the mega trend of everything going on is what I'd call individualization, which mm-hmm. includes the customization that you do, but also includes the fact that Commodities, goods, services exist outside of us, but experiences happen inside of us, right? Getting individual, individually engaged, and the transformations change us from the inside out. So recognizing that and recognizing the possibilities that are crucial for, for success now and into the future. And it's and if you have maintained these basic principles about customer centricity, for example, and about creating greater economic value for your customers, which in turn then creates greater economic value for you, then I think you've got the guideposts that will allow you to uh, succeed in the future. And it's interesting because the value prop in itself is as relevant for customers, but it's actually very relevant for employees. Thinking about your employees, it's very relevant when you think about your partners, when you think about your suppliers, it's actually relevant around you as well. Uh, I've long thought that, but it's only been in the last couple of years I've actually written about applying it to employees. And it's amazing how well it is, particularly in a time where employees do have more options of what they can do and where they can do it. You need to create that preference for them to want to work to you. And yeah, you can pay them more money. But if you create stage experiences for them and actually transformations as well, where they view their time with you as time well invested, then then you create a great preference. We just wrote an article on employment as transformation. You know, there's a way to be able to think about that. The human resources function really needs to be thinking about experiences and transformations, not just about benefits. And we try to add, of course, all of your books and articles aligned to this. Now, knowing about this, and you can see where some companies are moving, is there a company or for that matter, a leader you think we should keep our eyes on? Boy, that's a great question. There's obviously a lot of tech companies you need to be thinking about and so forth. In terms of experiences, you, for the whatever industry, you can never take your eyes off Disney. 
<laughs> right. Disney yeah. is the world's premier experience yeah. stager. And they're doing amazing things in AI, in robotics. Now there's a Spider-Man robot that, that jumps across live in front of you, some of them. And it's amazing the amount of actually research and development that they do and increasingly into VR and augmented reality and so forth as well. So I think that's one that, that's worth paying attention to on an ongoing basis because not every experience company has a level of R&D that, that the Walt Disney Company does, for right. example. And I um, love that you bring that company up because that uh, was actually one of the companies you and I worked with many years <laughs> back. <laughs> but then the experience wasn't that identified as a separate yeah. offering by then. And I'll, I'll, and I'll give you one more, and a mm. specific leader, and that's John Padgett. Okay. So John Padgett and I worked together at the Walt Disney Company in the early to mid-2000s with a number group. And where I really impressed upon them the need to go from the mass experience in the Disney park to individual guest and family unit experiences. Mm. And that, and John uh, was one of the first five people that worked on the magic band, which allowed them for the All first right. time to identify who individual customers were, but he could never get everything that he wanted Disney to do. So he actually left there and joined Carnival Corporation, the cruise company, and became oh. their chief experience and innovation officer. I love that you have both. And recently actually kept that title. He also became the president of Princess Cruise Lines. Uh, so he's got the operational responsibility as well. And what he did is he did Magic Band and what Disney did one better by coming up with the Ocean Medallion. And the Ocean Medallion is this IoT device that they now give every guest that comes on the Princess Cruise Lines and allows them to know who they are. When you meet a crew member, they have a tablet. When you get within distance of them, up pops mm -hmm. your picture, your name, preferences that you have, and they can fulfill your individual preferences. Mm -hmm. They create a mass customized itinerary. So the, this is the, the Ocean Medallion is an experience platform for there. Mm -hmm. So you can mass customize the itinerary of your experience on the cruises. Eventually, you imagine they're going to go outside of the cruises as well uh, in terms of what they're doing. But they, and they, one of the things I love is that I mentioned that you have to understand the market inside of the customer. Yeah. So Carnival Cruise Lines, for example, can know that when you're on the pool deck with your kids, your favorite drink is an iced tea with no lemon. When you're in the bar with your buddies, it's a mojito. And when you're in a restaurant with your spouse, it's a glass of Shiraz. So the same customer, but what market am I in? And they can cater to them. Mm -hmm. allows them to mass customize good services and experiences to individual guests and family units and others, wedding parties, reunions, whatever it might be. Know that you've also worked with B2B customers mm. trying to get to the same thing. And I know you keep arguing that it's it's actually the same thing. They also yeah. need to cater for B customers in a similar way. So I wanted to just bring up, you've written all of these fantastic books and I love them. So besides the experience economy, you've also written about authenticity you've written uh, what customers really want yep. <laughs> you've written infinite possibility which i think also brings in more of the digital dimension yep. um, and of course mass customization which i know very well since we worked <laughs> a lot on that but knowing all of these books can you give any guidance on when should you read what <laughs> what will you bring out of what in terms of all of these good books among those books. So I, if you only read one, you have to read the experience economy. Right. And there are two good chapters on mass customization in it. So at a high level, you get the mass customization as well. But it gives you the overall picture of what's going on in the world of business. 
and a lot of frameworks, a lot of principles and a lot of examples that bring that down to what you therefore can do differently. In the latest edition that came out in 2020, we talk about it as competing for customer time, attention, and money, right? Those are the currencies of the experience economy. And that, and so that therefore what you want to create are experiences that are robust, mm-hmm. cohesive, personal, dramatic, and even transformative, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of sets up everything. So then authenticity, we call the new consumer sensibility that when life becomes more and more of a paid for experience, it's people increasingly question what is real and what is not. And increasingly, they want the real from the genuine, not the fake from the phony. And that applies to any industry, to any offerings, not just experiences, but commodities. Or if you think about organic produce and and goods, you think about cosmetics and other beauty care items, how people really want that authentic and so forth. So it really, again, gives frameworks to think about how authentic are you as a company, as perceived by your customers, and what can you do about it? Then as you say, Infinite Possibility has this great framework that I love so much, although I made it a little more complicated than it needed to be, but that really shows you all of the possibilities for fusing the real and the virtual. So it does talk, yes, you got the core of reality and what I'll call virtuality, right? The, Mm -hmm. The virtual reality that you have. But in between, there's all these different ways to do it. It's like augmented reality where you're in reality, but you augment with digital information and objects and so forth. And I don't know if you saw, but last in the last week or two, they had the first experiment where a person was able to have an augmented reality contact lens. It was the CEO of the company uh, on his eye for over an hour. So they do all this testing and it actually does transmit and he can see things and that. So there's much more of that coming. Plus things like what I call alternate reality, where you like take a video game Hmm. and play it in the real world. And that's what Pokemon Go is, for example. And And the thing about how 3D printing, for example, which is a form, a technique of mass customization, Hmm. but it's really not about digitization. It's about atomization. It's taking something virtual and let's now let's take ideas that I, where anything I can dream of, I can now print out on a 3D printer and just shows you all the ways to be able to do that. I know that the opportunities blows up and there sits the leaders. How will I get that to happen in my company and the boards? So I'm thinking maybe you can just also, because I know you do a lot of workshops and I know that you actually forces people already in the workshop to actually develop things so that they can get into the mind. Can you share something around that? And then following that, how can people reach you? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I do pure speaking which is really get those light bulbs to go on. But usually there's somebody in a company who understands and wants to share it, wants to get people to understand. And so whether at management meetings or associations or whatever, is show them the ideas, the principles, and the frameworks, and let them begin thinking about it, ideally with at least some interaction in there. The workshops are ones where, like you say, you want to wrestle with the ideas. You want to develop your own ideas about what we might do differently as a result. And they can vary from a half day to three days or more. And the the one in Jordan was a three-day workshop I did uh, with a major company there around what I call marketing experiences, that that experiences that generate the demand for your company. And so the first half day was with all the top leadership, like the 40, 50 people there. And then the rest of the days was working with the marketing team where they developed six different ideas for what they could do as we winnowed down. Then there are some just ongoing advice and counsel where I'm the smart person in a room, just reading your plans and strategies, giving feedback and so forth. 
Then we also have our Experience County Expert Certification course that we do usually publicly once a year. We have a virtual option now because of the pandemic. We do private courses. I've got a private course with a hospital coming up in September in the U.S. And we also have our on-stage frontline video training, which does help any person, frontline especially, be able to understand the concept that work is theater and therefore perform on the business stage to create a great experience for their audiences. So those are the major things that I do. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course, Joe Pine. And our website is www.strategichorizons.com, strategichorizons with an S.com. And you can find everything you want on there about me, about the books, about the ideas. We also are always coming out with new ideas, like the Harvard Business Review article in January, February issue. I had an article in last September, a major thought piece around time and how that, how that you think about time. And because and the, the first line of the, that article is the most precious resource on the planet is the time of individual human beings. And companies always need to take that into account, again, whether consumer or B2B. So we have a quarterly field notes newsletter where we send out, here's our latest articles, here's podcasts that we're in, as well as here's other articles. You see what other people are writing about and what great exemplars and so forth. So on the contact page there, you can also subscribe to that field quarterly field notes newsletter. We're going to finalize here. And I have two final questions. One is, if you can give some advice to our listeners, which is a lot of boards and leaders, what would that advice be? One is to... Actually, I'll give it advice that you gave in one of the articles I read in your boards, which is look to the future more than to the past, Yeah, which I love. And so look to the future and recognize there is virtually infinite possibility. Yeah. And you need to decide what is the direction that we want to be able to go on, which again gets back to that core question of what business are you really in? So I think that would be the key thing to do. And then secondly is to very few businesses have ever gone wrong by focusing too much on the customer. (laughs) So focus on that individual living, breathing customer and recognize you need to, you need to have your capabilities pulled out to their individual demand rather than trying to push you know, what you've already produced, what you've already done, what's already in the can to them. Really try your best to create the pool economy. Yes. Super good. Thank you so much for that. My final question is, if you were a furniture, what would you be? (laughs) (laughs) If I were a furniture, the immediate thought that comes to me is a writing desk. I would be a writing desk so I can help others write as I love to write. And it's only when you write that that you really figure things out Mm. fully because you've Mm. got to put them on paper. You've got to make sense for it. Uh, so that's what occurs to me at least a lot. That's a wonderful thing. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. And I look forward to meet you when you're coming to, to Scandinavia in the autumn here and to continue to find ways to work together. Super. I look forward to that as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Exploring Leaders, a podcast produced by Degotion with the ambition to inspire insightful leadership in the digital age. If you found this episode interesting, join the momentum to amplify the voices of trailblazing leaders by sharing it with others for inspiration. For any questions or recommendations on other inspiring leaders you like to listen to, contact us via our website, degotion.com, or via social media as LinkedIn or Twitter.